This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is being brought to you by the many members of the Fresno Association of Realtors. And we have a goal, and that is to inform our our listeners about real estate and the local market. Oh, how important it is right now. With all kinds of news out there, clickbait. Um, you know, try, just telling you how bad the market is, and and yet it's important to know what's happening locally. So hopefully you get that from us here at Welcome Home Radio. To help me with that, today we have Carol Laval, who is an appraiser um, here in the Central Valley, and you've done it for how many years? Something like 49 years. Oh, okay. 1973. So we're approaching 49. You got me beat on that. So, um, boy, you've had to add a whole extra digit to the numbers, right? You used, used to sell a house for 45000 Now it's one. Uh, there you go. 450000 <laughs> if not one point four five. Totally. Um Okay, just real quickly, how has the appraisal market changed over the since 1973? Wow. Uh, so I'm not sure if you realize the magnitude of that question. In 1973, if you wanted to be an appraised, you remember the old Rockford files where he had the little printing press in his glove compartment and he'd become something to... Uh, do some sort of research or something to gain entree into somebody's house. If you had a card that said you were an appraiser and somebody hired you as an appraiser, you were an appraiser. It was free entry to the profession. And what's happened over the years is starting about 1991, a licensing uh procedure was adopted throughout the country. So appraisers have been licensed since 1991. It took a number of years to set up the administration of this throughout the country, but each each state has a licensing program regulated federally, and uh, now there are well, actually a pretty high threshold to entry. Um, a thousand or more hours of experience working with a licensed appraiser, um, a series of required courses, and an exam. So, and you know, I don't know if you know this about me, but I used to be one of those card carrying appraisers. <laughs> no, I did not know <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> this is back in the early 80s. And you're right, you did not have to have a special <laughs> license. I believe my. You didn't have to have a license at all. Okay, well, I had that beat. I had a real estate license. <laughs> but um, I actually got on the panel for the VA appraisers. No way. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, then, And I want to say, Don and I have known one another for quite a number of years. Mm-hmm. This is a revelation. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I don't talk a lot about it because um, when they came out with the new regulation where you had to have a separate license for appraising, I, I thought, okay, I have to pick which personality type do I want to work in. 
<laughs> because being a, a real estate salesperson and an appraiser are two different. Totally. Yeah. Totally different. Um, and, and I found out I'm not that analytical. Plus, I can't sit behind a computer or a desk for too long. Well, there are a variety of activities that go with appraisal, but a, a good basic difference is that as an agent, you're an advocate for the property, and the appraiser always steps in as a neutral evaluator, a neutral party. Mm-hmm. Uh, our job is to render a neutral, supported opinion of value for the property, Even for whatever if the, the purpose. contract price is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> How could that be? That's right, yeah. <laughs> it, and um, that <clears throat> a lot of questions that I'm going to ask you today have come from uh, my history where I've, I've run into situations where maybe they were wrong. You know, our contract price was too high, and, um, and I'm wondering why. So I, I'm going to ask you some good questions here. And also, I hope that we make um, our listeners understand what is an appraisal and how it's not just, you can't just walk into a house and say, this is what it's worth. You can't just tap on a, an app and say, this is what it's worth. In fact, let's get right into that one. Okay. Uh, why is it that uh, some people say, well, this is what that online application said: is that it w- my home was worth four hundred thousand, uh, and that was a pretty easy thing because you you could tap that out in three or four seconds. How long does it take you to do a typical appraisal and all the research? So, um, if I started uh, on an appraisal say Thursday morning at 8 o'clock, and I had no other phone calls, no other interruptions, no other things pending, if I went out and looked at the property, researched and confirmed my sales, and wrote my report, I'd probably finish it by 5 o'clock the following Friday. I'd say two days on a single job with no no complexities to it and no interruptions would be about right. So this exemplifies why I wasn't the right personality <laughs> type to continue as an appraiser. <laughs> I, <laughs> that is way too much work. I, it, in fact, sometimes I feel disappointed in myself when a client says, well, what do you think my house is worth? And here I've you know, just walked into it three minutes earlier. Um, I usually you, won't give an answer. No, you can't. You can't reply that uh, rapidly. No, number one, and uh, we talked about this a little earlier, is that each piece of property is different. The market is always changing. So, in order to render, and 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 actually, when you go to the property, you probably have some sort of idea of size and age. You've looked at public record information on it or a prior listing possibly. So right. properties change over time, mm-hmm. do they not? They change in condition and features. The neighborhood changes, the market changes. So in order to render, my job is to render 
a neutral supported opinion of value. Neutral supported opinion of value. And that requires, I don't want to say perfect knowledge, but excellent knowledge of the improvement that I'm putting a value on, what is listed and sold that's similar to it, and what's happening in the market. Mm -hmm. Changes. That's an interesting topic right now because a lot of people are talking about how the market is changing. Um, my take on it is that we, we're, we've slowed down. We've gone from 90 miles an hour down to 70 miles an hour. Still moving fast, but how do you see the market right now? So uh, I, uh, the thing that is affecting the market is interest rates. You and I have plenty of history in the local market, and to have a 6% loan some years ago, I would have been thrilled to death, right? Oh, yeah. But we're coming off a period where we have historic a prolonged period of historically low interest rates. What that means is it makes a home more affordable, right? A, a lower payment. So when increase, when the interest rates increase, it's going to price some people out of the market. Either they, they uh, can't afford or aren't willing to pay another $300 a month, say, because interest rates have increased. So it's, it's choice, and if you don't have to move, then you're, you're not looking. Maybe you'll stay put and remodel what you've, what you've got. Mm -hmm. there, you, you have other choices. But um, so uh, people have dropped out of the market because of interest rate increases. I think that we still have a situation, I, although I'm, I'm seeing more signs, of a relative shortage of listings. I'll, I think that's changing, though. So there's still a market. You're, st you're still seeing multiple offers, aren't you? Oh, and, yeah. Uh, okay. In the past week, I think I, I dealt with um, three, either my listings or sales, three of them had multiple offers. Now, in all fairness, they no longer had 10. Now it was two or three or four. But you still have competition for yeah. the listing. Correct. And so there's still demand. Oh, yeah. And I want to add something to it also that I think is really, really important, and that is that it's not just interest rates that's impacting the market. The biggest thing I've seen is fear of what's to come. And there's a lot of talk of that. Yeah, yes. and that's fueled by... Um, it's the psychological game, if you will. Right, yeah. Um, I've had people actually say, well, I'm going to wait for the market to crash. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to wait for prices to come way down. Mm -hmm. And, boy, I don't see that. We still have a shortage of homes mm -hmm. compared to the amount of demand we have. I agree with you. So uh, uh, in our last surge cycle that ended in 06, mm -hmm. we had people that bought properties for which they did not qualify. We don't have that now. So what, hap what has happened is that everybody who's bought in the last few years were qualified for their purchases. Mm -hmm. So we don't have um, 
people not being able to make their payments. Another thing back in two difference between 2006 and now is right now the predominant mortgage out there is a fixed interest rate, no balloon payments. Mm -hmm. In 2006, most people had balloon payments right. on their loan. So they had to come up, they had to pay the loan off mm -hmm. basically every three years. They're not qualified to purchase in the first place, and then they've got a balloon that they're going to have to take care of in a few years, and they bought like that, thinking that the prices are going to continue to increase, and then as soon as that stops, they're stuck. And that's what happened to our housing market. Right, right. Well, when we get back from our commercial break, I want to ask you about appraisal. We've got a break already? I know. It, it does go fast, <laughs> it doesn't does. it? It does. It uh, does. Well, that's because appraisals is an interesting <laughs> subject. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, we'll see in the next segment okay, if that's true. Because <laughs> I want to ask you about some of the details that go in there, like the adjustments and how do you compare an apple and an orange and, and make it make it work hopefully i'm comparing apples and apples but all right when we come back <laughs> all right so stay tuned to welcome home radio 940 kyno well welcome back Welcome Home Radio, where we're hanging on to a dream, as that intro music just said. And it's still July, so we still have patriotic music on there. But I think one of the greatest things about America is home ownership and the ability to attain that. And that's what this show is all about. Now, let's get back to appraisals because that's part that's a big part of home ownership. You know, unless you have all cash and you don't want to know what it's worth, then uh, I guess you don't need an appraisal. No, I get requests for appraisals for cash purchases. They want the assurity that they're not overpaying. Okay. Happens all the time. All right. Interesting. Um, all right. So what what goes into an appraisal? I mean, I, and I made the comment in the first segment about apples to or comparing apples to oranges. You said hopefully you're comparing apples to apples, but obviously no two apples are all the same. Right. So how do you make adjustments? How, how do you figure it out? So um, I, number one, um, I'm going to, I, I call it doing an inventory. I'm going to look at the property that I'm doing the appraisal of. I'm going to uh, verify its size and age, its condition, its location. Then I'm going to go into the market and I'm going to find properties. So uh, value assignments aren't always for a current date. They aren't always for a loan. Most of what I do is not for lending purposes. I'm just going to say that. So I'm working on something now that's a 19, whoops, <laughs> 1994 data value. It's not unusual. 1994. 1994, and I'm having a heck of a time with it. That's 28 years ago. <laughs> and before. When we were we children. <laughs> yeah, and that was before our MLS went electronic. Uh, yeah, tell me about it. It's You're really, not looking at those old books, are you? I'm looking at our old 
old books, but the property that I'm looking at is in an area that wasn't very often listed in our MLS. They had their own MLS. It was a mountain MLS, separate from Fresno MLS, and I'm having a heck of a time. I have, let me, I'm, I'm past that now. I've had a heck of a time finding sales. And then, of course, what's happened over time is these properties have changed. They've gotten bigger. They've been remodeled. Any number of things have changed. So to find what they were like when they sold in 1993 or 1994, 1995 has been a real challenge. But there you go. So the point of that was that appraisals are not always done for current value. They're not always done for loan purposes, but we'll assume it's being done for loan purposes. I'm going to go out and do my inventory. I'm going to see how big the house is and you know what features it's got and where it's located. Then I'm going back into MLS. Well, so this is the old way as well as we would drive the neighborhood to look for signs as well and call on those signs. But I'm going into ML, and you know what? Still, because not not everything's in ML, MLS immediately, right? Or right. MLS at all. So um, I'll go into MLS. I'll look for expireds, currents, pending, closed that are as much like my property as I can find, and then I'll start confirming details of those properties so that I can compare them to mine. And, and I always say, if you'll think about concentric circles, my property is the center point of the circle, and I'm going to stay close in features, time, location, because those are going to be my best, generally, my best comparables. And, then, and a comparable is something that somebody looking at my property would consider as an alternative. It's not just a sale. It's something that they would consider as an alternative property. I really, really like that point. So, in other words, that same buyer would have considered that other home. That's right. That's a comparable. Okay. It's not just a house that's sold. It's not just a sale. It's something similar. I like that. Yeah. I wish I had that one a few appraisals back. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I could have argued it a little better. So, in and I'm going to look for sales until I'm satisfied that I found things that guide me to a good opinion of value. And, and that's my goal, is a neutral, supported opinion of value. And, and value is generally defined as, again, for lending purposes, market value, which is most probable selling price. Um back when I was in college, this was a few centuries ago, (laughs) um, they said that market value was what a willing buyer is willing to pay a willing seller. Does that still hold true? Yeah, simplified. So it's neither party is under any duress or any need to buy or sell. You know, there's no circumstances that they have to act quickly under or that they would take less for their property for. So going back to 2006 or 7 or 8, 10, 11, you know, where we had 
a lot of short sales and foreclosures, the seller, so if it's an institution, they don't have that property because they want to have that property. They're an involuntary owner, if you will. So that is not a market transaction because they're an involuntary owner uh, involuntary owner, they want it off their books. So that's not a, that's not a market comparable. Mm-hmm. If you have a property listed for sale, both sides um, are, eva- you know, the buyer is evaluating the features of, of the property and the price they're willing to offer. The seller wants a certain price and uh, they'll analyze the contract that's been presented or the offer that's been presented to them and the point that they come to agreement is a negotiated figure and it should represent market value as long as it's there's other part parts to it you know cash or equivalent to cash which is assumed to be conventional financing Um, that it's had adequate exposure you know so that uh, other uh, multiple buyers have a chance to offer, and you're getting a pattern of price, pattern of offers, and uh, the seller is is acting. They're both uh, both parties are acting in their best interest. Okay, um, <laughs> that must have been a heck of a time appraising back in 2008 or nine when you there were so many foreclosures to act as comparables. So a, a couple of things about that point, and uh, there, were, there was so much distress property that it set the market. So I did an appraisal of a little house over by St. Agnes, and again, I do, I'm asked to do valuations for different periods of time, and this was going back in time to that period and there was actually nothing on the market except for distress Mm -hmm. and so that sets the market and if you're trying as a regular owner to sell into that market that's your competition Mm -hmm. yeah it drives the price so let let me ask you this this is going to be a good question to ask an appraiser um, who's on a different side of the transaction so let's say a buyer is uh, makes an offer on a home and there's multiple offers they they bid up they get it uh, but the appraiser can't justify it um, and so now the buyer is faced with the decision do I pay the extra amount in cash or do I cancel or do I try to renegotiate and, and let's take renegotiation off the table because that would make it a I don't want that to be the focus of the of this question, but um, you got a justifiable um, appraised price, let's say of three hundred thousand, but somebody agreed to pay three ten. Uh, is that a good move, or it, it's? I, I mean, how does an appraiser look at that? I think we talked about. Uh, each piece of property being unique, right? And you have a negotiated contract and you have a price arising from that. So that uh, it meets the definition of, it's going to become a comparable for me when it closes escrow, right? Mm -hmm. So it should be a market level transaction. 
under the market circumstances at the time that it was went under contract. So uh, uh, I'm always going to, as again, this is for sale lending purposes, I'm always going to review the contract to make sure there's not some sort of give back to the buyer, that it is in fact, we'll use your figures, three, a 310 offer. It's not 10,000 back to the buyer in escrow or you know anything like that. So if, mm. do we have a break? Not yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, you, you'll know when I start waving oh, okay, my arms. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm watching you watch the clock. I was concerned. <laughs> oh, okay. So um, uh, I'm, uh, if it's me, I'm always going to try to uh, support a negotiated contract because I'm going to go to other pending sales and interview agents and find out. So the listing price doesn't mean that it's listed at market value. It's a listing price, right? Mm -hmm. Market value is what the market is willing to pay at any point in time, and that's your negotiated contract. So I'm going to interview listing and, uh, uh, listing and buyer's agents to find out if this is common, if they're getting multiple offers, if, this, if there's something pending that looks like your contract. Gotcha. And as far as personal reasons why somebody may pay more or less for a home, here's a couple of great examples. I can, I've got one, one I, or two as well. Yeah, okay. go ahead. So I had one where um, they were willing to pay over the appraised value because it had a special value to them and their family. It was around the corner from their grandparents' house. And I've heard and, several and of those. And there were family yeah. reasons. There. Yeah. Now, going the other way, there was... I called this buyer and I said, you better get over here quick to this house. This is just what you're looking for. And I think it's priced really well. He gets over there, he looks at it. He goes, you know, it's a beautiful place. It's exactly what I'm looking for. And I agree with you on the price. It's well-priced, but I'm not going to buy it. I, Why not? He goes, my ex-wife lives across the street. <laughs> so... That one was off the table. Well, think about somebody, and I always say this is the reverse of sticker shock. So somebody coming in from a high-priced market and buying locally, and they are willing to pay over what the local market will pay because they don't understand our market level, right? And I've seen a number of cases of that over the years. Mm -hmm. And they're equity refugees from higher-priced markets and coming here to buy, and they'll readily pay a lot over listing price to secure the property they want. Okay. Well, hold those thoughts because we now we are going to okay. a commercial break. <laughs> but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 KYNO. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and here in the studio with us today, we have Carol Laval, an appraiser here in the Central Valley, and you've seen a thing or two out there in your, your work. Um, My few you, years, yes. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, in the first two segments, we were talking 
generally about appraisals, I'd like to be a little more specific now. And, and here's the question that I get a lot from, um, from clients. What is my swimming pool worth? Funny you should ask. <laughs> <laughs> and I know the answer. Well, it depends. <laughs> uh, and actually, yes, that's always the answer is it depends. It depends on the neighborhood. It depends on the pool. It depends on when you're being asked. So I just did a quick little uh, survey. So uh, think about, uh, so what I do, uh, I'll just say quickly, is I go to the neighborhood area that my property is located in, and I do a survey of what properties are selling for, and then I try to extract what a pool adds, what solar adds, what the different features adds, add, how much the you know difference in size makes, because those are adjustments I'm making. And th think about this real simply. I have two houses side by side. They're identical in all respects. This one has a pool, this one doesn't. Our market pays more for the one with a pool, right? Right. Simple as that. So I'm going to go into market sales, and I'm going to look for sales without a pool and sales with a pool and extract that adjustment so that I know how to adjust in my appraisal. And I have recently done, I think I gave you a copy of it, I recently did a little survey for another presentation that was in uh, a Northeast zip code where it's all track build houses, maybe 1980 track build houses. And so I ran sales first, uh, certain age, certain size parameters, and I asked for sales without solar, without pools. And then I went back and ran it with solar, and it's own solar, because own solar is an improvement that you own. A, a lease system is not. So I ran it uh, with own solar, no pool, and then I ran it with pool, no solar. And I got, uh, a, I forgot what it is, I think it's about $9,000 for maybe $300,000 houses. I've got it right here. Okay. Uh, so uh, 300, roughly a $370,000 price range. And the difference for own solar was about 7,000. And the difference for a pool was about uh, 8,000. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, and that's at the 300,000 price range. Right. What about those two improvements pool mm -hmm. and, and solar but let's jump up to the eight hundred thousand mm -hmm. price range where i think swimming pools are going to be more common more costly yeah yeah more costly bigger system mm -hmm. okay so would it still be seven thousand and nine thousand so this this is goes back to it depends it depends on what the property is where the property is when we're doing the appraisal, but it's still the same procedure. I'm going to go into the market and I'm going to extract those adjustments from market transactions, from sales. Okay. 
All right. How about the time of year? A lot of times people will say, well, I better sell my home in the summertime since there's a swimming pool and people want one in the summertime. In the wintertime, they might look at the swimming pool as being work <laughs> instead of play. So uh, I remember one of the old appraisers who used to say this all the time. And uh, I can't say that I've ever seen that in the market. If you want a pool, you want a pool. Right. And I'm going to even tr tr take a stab at answering that. I think maybe to a, a very emotional buyer, that might apply. Most buyers, though, are going to look at that type of an improvement as long-term. And exactly, that's the term that occurred to me. Is It's a long-term investment. When you buy your home, it's a long-term investment. You're not buying just for, you know, where you're going to put your Christmas tree, you know, in December. It is for use year-round. Okay. Now, let's get off of swimming pools and solar for a bit. How about square footage? So let's say you're comparing two houses. One's 2,000 square feet. The other is 1,800 square feet. Every other, the same neighborhood, same location, value, condition, all that's the same. But 200 square feet difference. What, what would you say is a difference there or an adjustment? Back it to depends, our, uh, right? Yeah, it depends. I knew that Back answer. to our two <laughs> And actually, I have uh, in, the, in the examples I gave you, I'll, we'll go to that in a minute. If you have 2,000 square feet or 1,800 square feet, you're going to pay more for 2,000 square feet. You're getting more, right? Right. So it's going to be a higher price. But what happens is as size increases, the price per square foot declines, Right. Yes. Yes. So I just did, uh, I have some figures from a new development, actually two new tracks. So for both of these, the uh, price per square foot, uh, one is a two-story model and one is a one-story model. And this is as an example. So for the one-story models, the uh, price per square foot was uh, roughly 300 a square foot for the smaller one, 264 a square foot for the bigger one. But when you uh, look at the difference in price per square foot for that increased size, it was $57 a square foot. So it's a fraction of the price per square foot, mm -hmm. right? Same thing, uh, so this is a two-story model. They actually both calculated to $57 a square foot. So two-story construction is a lower price per square foot, and it, these are bigger houses. So the smaller of the two stories was $229 a square foot. Now this is the base model price for new construction. $229 a square foot for the smaller one, $204 per square foot for the bigger one, but that um, increase uh, price per square foot for the difference in size again was $57 a square foot. So it's something less on a price per square foot basis than the, so the price per square foot includes the lot, it includes the kitchen, it includes the garage, it includes all of these other things. And as you push the wall out, it's at a lesser price per square foot. I got you. Mm -hmm. All right. 
So how reliable is that price per square foot? Because some people I know, going to, in, going to look at a house square foot. and they yeah. say, how much a square foot is Yeah, it? yeah. And I like to say, well, let me give you the purchase price first or the list price. Right. Um, because it does not include the difference between a two-car garage and a three-car garage. Mm -hmm. Swimming pool, no swimming pool. Um, great condition versus poor condition. It's just based on the parameter of the house. So we talk, appraisers, talk about units of comparison. The market uses price per square foot as a unit of comparison. And so I look at price per square foot. And when I'm coming to a, a value decision, I'm going to look at my range of price per square foot. So my sales may run from 200 to $300 a square foot, and that's simply sale price divided by the size of the house. Doesn't count any of the other features that the property may have. Sale price divided in, uh, I mean, uh, square footage divided into sale price gives you basically a unit of comparison. And the market uses that to compare. And I'm going to look at it when I'm coming to a value conclusion to see if, if I've got something reasonable, if I'm making a reasonable estimate. You know, I just thought of a good analogy okay. of, the, of that, the different personality types of an appraiser and a realtor. So um, uh, an appraiser, if you ask them what time it is, they can tell you how the watch is built. You ask a realtor and they're going to say, oh, is that an Armani? And with that, we're going to our next commercial break. Stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio during the month of July, where it's a very patriotic time people are coming to America. And I know my parents came to America because they wanted home ownership. They wanted property rights. And that's, uh, I know a lot of the clients I have today came here for, for that. One of the best sales I've ever had, or the most meaningful sales I ever had, just occurred recently. And the people said they lived in Los Angeles, but they moved to Fresno about a year ago. I said, oh, well, why did you move to Fresno? I love the answer because we want to be a homeowner. And it was attainable here where they felt like uh, they couldn't do that in Los Angeles because their prices are so much greater. So anyway, there's my little patriotic plug for home ownership and, 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 what, and the reason it does matter. Boy, there's a pride. In, involved there. Now, like to ask a question, uh, and, and that is, there's several different types of value. Uh, the tax assessor has their their valuation. Your insurance agent has theirs. You have an appraised value, um, and realtors have, well, we call it market value. Uh, they're all right in their own ways. But first of all, I want to start off because we have a little added resource here, um, and, and that is our board operator, Bobby Thistle, is an insurance agent and writes a lot of um, homeowner policies. What, how do you establish an insured value? 
Well, a resource is a, is a loose term, but yeah, I mean, exactly. It's been an interesting <laughs> show because that's really what, you know, I talk about day in and day out with people is their reconstruction costs. That's the most important thing is, is there going to be enough money if there's a total loss? So it's, it's just really important to go line by line. And because if two homes are 2000 square feet, one of them might be all granite, new flooring, you know, custom cabinetry, glass cabinetry. So it's a little different. So you just want to make sure you have every feature of the home in your policy. And then that changes the reconstruction value. I'll bet you get this question a lot where you tell somebody, okay, well, we have, uh, we need to insure it for $350,000. And somebody might say, oh, but my house is worth 400,000. Do you get that a lot? Yeah, I get that a lot. Oh, I just paid, you know, 650000 and you're th saying it's only 400000 to rebuild. So it's, it's different. What you pay for it is going to be different than what it costs to rebuild. Okay. And, you know, usually in Fresno, we're trying to be about 200 to 250 a square foot. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, in, in that ballpark. Yeah. yeah, that's what you guys were mentioning in the previous segment. And that's usually where we try to be with the reconstruction value. Okay, so your key word there is reconstruction, not market value. Uh, appraisers call it uh, replacement value. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And you want to make sure it's insured at least 80% value. See, so I you told you appraisers talk another language. <laughs> <laughs> so it, for lending purposes, the lender wants us to do a replacement cost estimate. So it's the cost to rebuild less depreciation that's supposed to reflect its current condition plus land and so your reconstruction cost is replacement cost new because yes. you're not replacing a depreciated structure you're replacing it with a new structure yeah and a lot of times you know i'll share the lender evidence of insurance and also the replacement cost estimator how do we come up with that right four hundred thousand dollar number and you know, the home is also, you have to account for the, the land, and we're just worried about the structure. So that's why ours could be lower than what they paid for it. Well, and, and you've got additional costs because you're not getting in economies. Say this happens in a tract. There's economies of scale of building everything at the same time, right? You're getting economies and mm, with your contractors and your materials and so forth. If you have a loss in a tract, you're not getting any of that. Everything's going to cost more because it's a single site, and there's it, it's just probably another 25% over uh, what it would cost to build new. Mm -hmm. Now, how about the tax assessor? Tax assessor says it's worth oh, this. Oh, that's Prop 13. Okay. So uh, they're, they're, uh, the, the tax... Uh, and that's how I started as an appraiser. I started as an appraiser with Fresno County Assessor and, of 1973. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Prop 13 is probably, we, we probably have the most confusing assessment system in the country, would be my guess. So Prop 13 uh, assesses, under Prop 13, the assessor assesses your property at market value at the point that ownership changes and then it stays at that figure into the future plus a 2% cost of living adjustment from year to year unless you make changes to the property that add value uh, unless there's ownership changes 
if market value declines, and 1995, we had a decline in prices, and there were Prop 8 adjustments, Proposition 8 adjustments. So you've got your, you've got your trended Prop 13, and then market value falls below that. You can get a temporary Prop 8 adjustment, and then as soon as the market returns to the prior level, then your uh, assessment returns to its adjusted Prop 13 level. It's really confusing. <laughs> I was just going to say, really confusing. That's why you need professionals to help you through the purchase of a home. Bobby Thistle, thank you for being a guest. That entitles you to a free Welcome Home radio hat. Yay. And I think I was the one that brought these, but hey, I'll take one. I'll yeah. take the swag every day. All right. There's a story to those hats. They assigned Bobby to give those away because I supposedly was forgetting too often to give them to the uh, guests. Uh, so I frequently have to remind Bobby, to, hey, bring those hats, would you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, value has a lot of different meanings. Now, let me ask you real quickly about another value. People uh, go to uh, what's referred to as an AVM. Uh, an online uh, quick value. Right. right. Just click, click, click on right. an app, and it's like, oh, yeah. wow, my house is worth this. Right, right. So um, years ago, so if, if somebody called me and said, uh, Carol, um, I want an appraisal, uh, how much would you charge? I'd say, here's my fee, here's how long it will take me to do it, and they'd say, oh, my, I don't want to wait that long. I don't want to pay that much. And I'd say, well, I mean, you can go online and you can try one of the automated valuations and, you know, it's better than nothing. I used to say that. And then I started doing a periodic comparison of actual sale prices and automated value values, AVMs. We'll call them AVMs, which uh, AVM is really something different, but we'll call it an automated valuation compared to actual sale prices. And um, uh, uh, it's just been too busy. I haven't done one in several years. But the last time I did one, uh, the average, I used 11 properties. The average differential for 11 properties. Now, this is on the same day. I'm looking at a sale price, and I'm comparing it to an automated value. The average difference for 10, uh, 11 properties was 10%. Two of them were off by 20%. One was 20% too high. One was 20% too low. So uh, they're just not very good. And there are a, a number of reasons why. The uh, model doesn't know unique neighborhoods. It doesn't know the condition of the property. It doesn't know if there have been modifications to the property. There's any number of things that the model cannot control for, and they're not very good. And I like how you say unique neighborhoods. Let's go to the Tower District, the Fresno High area. One block can, can change dramatically. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, and I'm looking at that chart that you did, and I see one of them here is off 20 uh, the AVM and the actual sale price was off 28 percent another one 38 percent that's a lot of money from someone's pocket these are studies in stable markets 
We didn't have a lot of price appreciation. It wasn't going down, but it was stable or improving. And I did this three years in a row, and they were huge differences. Mm-hmm. And if you're the seller, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. And I, I have a, a great example. I had one where I suggested that we list the home at 600000 is over on Huntington Boulevard, a historic home. And the client said, well, I like that, but he was, you know, Zillow says it's worth 375. I said, yeah, they, they don't have all the updated things you've done. Um, I listed it for 600,000. The next day, Zillow went from 375 to 625. So, um, it's not reliable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in their defense, they didn't know of all the improvements uh, that were done to the property. So, all right. Um, Carol Laval, I want to thank you. Are you're, we you're, finished? Uh, yeah. You look disappointed that we're finished. I have can so much look, more to say. <laughs> can you imagine what our listeners are thinking? Oh, wow. It's like my son when he was a little kid at Christmas time. What? That's it? <laughs> That's all? <laughs> That's all for today. We will be back again next Saturday, though. And uh, thank you to everybody for tuning in to Welcome Home Radio. Bye-bye.